Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Cyber Security Recruiter podcast. Today, I'm joined by Derich. Derich, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, Tom. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, my friend. For everyone listening, me and Derek have just been chatting about the fact that I'm over in Dubai working crazy hours and we just both say what a beautiful part of the world it is. A lot's kind of happened here over the, over the, I think a lot of people think it's something it's not, don't they? Like when you come here, it's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah, it's really cool. The last time I was there was in 2012 and a lot has changed since then, but I was just blown away by all of the technology, innovation, the tall skyscrapers. It's just a... Yeah. It's yeah, something you, yeah. you have to experience to believe it. <laughs> I t- yeah, I tell you, what, there's a lot of like crypto adverts here as well. One of my friends came here. He planned on staying here for three years. He's very senior at Dubai Airport. And he came here for three years. That was a decade ago. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so he loves it. But Derek, so I'm just going to do you a, 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 a bit of an intro, my friend, for, for, for the listeners. For everyone listening this week, Derek Phillips started his own business, which I'm sure we're, we're going to get into shortly, taking that leap from from being very much employed with Bank of America over to starting his own security firm. So we're, we're going to get into that. But it all started back in 2002. Derek was a cyber network defender for the US Army. That was for almost just over four years, almost four and a half years. Derish then went on to be part of ITT Systems, where he was a security operations center manager for just over four and a half years. He was then a part of Lockheed Martin, where he was a senior surveillance engineer, then joined Hewlett Packard, where he was IT operations engineer, then joined a company in Texas called G6 Hospitality LLC. Derich was an IT security analyst there. He was then back at Hewlett Packard, where he was an information security officer for a few years. And the business that he was in before he started his own business was the Bank of America, where he was a third-party risk assessor. And now Derich is president and founder of Aspire Cyber. First of all, congratulations in starting your own firm, my friend. What's it like living the American dream? <laughs> it's a roller coaster. I have to say that, but I wouldn't change it for anything. Taking the shift from being an employee to now being an entrepreneur certainly comes with a lot more responsibilities and challenges. However, the opportunities are unlimited. So that's something that keeps me fueled every day. I never know what I'm going to encounter. There's no day is like the same, like the previous day. I really enjoy the variety of being an entrepreneur. Yeah, cool, definitely. So I think I'll start where, where I normally start, which is obviously you've incorporated your, your own business now. What are you up to on a day-to-day basis? What's it? What, what's a typical uh, day in the life for, for yourself? <laughs> yeah, I like that question. Now, I would say a typical day, Aspire Cyber, our primary business model is we provide virtual CISO services to small businesses, a lot of startups who can't afford to hire a full-time CISO. So that chief information security officer, and we provide them essentially fractional support. And we're serving as their virtual CISO. And in that capacity, we have we have clients in the software space, healthcare, farming, just a wide variety of different industries. So every day I can be dealing with different types of projects for our clients in a variety of spaces. So as I mentioned, it's just never a a dull moment, but ultimately what we're doing is supporting small businesses on a daily basis, whatever their cybersecurity and and privacy needs are, Aspire Cyber supports them on a fractional basis. Cool. So can we get a bit more into it? So I think the listeners, I I know when I speak to a lot of people in security, the idea of starting their own businesses is fascinating. Did, did you see stuff when you were with previous employers? Did an idea just pop into your head when you were in the shower? I'd like to get a little bit granular. Like, how does it all come about? I'm certainly happy to share that backstory. While I was working at Bank of America, at this point, I had already been in cybersecurity about 17 years. And up to that point, I would say I hadn't really discovered my passion for cybersecurity, what I really loved doing or what I felt I was great at. And when I started working for Bank of America, 
as a third party risk assessor, everything came together. The skills that I learned throughout my career and then my role as information security officer at Hewlett Packard Enterprise, it all came together and everything started to click for me. And I really excelled in that role as a third party risk assessor. And in that role, what I was doing for Bank of America is essentially assessing their third party vendors, their supply chain, making sure that their vendors were compliant with Bank of America's security requirements. So I got a lot of insights into how organizations of all sizes pretty much handle their security. I was essentially that auditor coming in, making sure that they were doing the right things. And just being in that role and excelling in it, I was like, ah, this is what I was meant to do. Because <laughs> before then, I was in a lot of different roles and I just never felt like it all clicked. It was like I was just treading water and keeping my head above water. But in that role as a third-party risk assessor, I felt like I was Michael Phelps in the water. Like, working <laughs> out. And at that point, and Bank of America is such a great organization. They have a large information security program. They spend over a billion dollars a year on the information security, if you can imagine that. That's what it would be. <laughs> and I, I learned so much, got to work with a lot of great people. And it was one day I was talking to one of my colleagues, and he had mentioned, like, Derek, you're, you're really good at this role. And actually, I had trained him to be an assessor. You're really good at this role. Like, but do you realize Bank of America is not paying you what you're worth? And that really hit me. Like, I pondered on it, was thinking about it, because prior to him telling me that, I was decided, I had decided that I was going to apply for a CISO role. I felt, okay, I finally have all of the skills and experience and certifications that I need to be a CISO at a medium or large organization. So I had a plan to start applying for roles and interviewing. But once he told me that and I slept on it, I woke up the next day and thought about it like the amount of time that I'm going to spend devoted to helping one company build out their security program as their CISO. I could do that for my own company and provide their services on a fractional basis to smaller companies. So that really was the aha moment for me to start Aspire Cyber. And then what really validated it for me, my wife, she is my biggest supporter, but she also let me know if I'm on the wrong track or if I'm, I have a bad idea. So usually if I bring a, a business idea to her or new, something new I want to do, she'll let me know, no, that's stupid <laughs> in so many words. Or, But when I gave her, I told her the idea about starting Aspire Cyber and supporting small businesses, she was like, that's a good idea. I love it. And so that's why I really knew I was on to something. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? That's massive as well. That is, Derek, because I can, I'm just imagining how the conversation went with you, with your wife. Maybe, maybe you could share with it, but obviously you're going into a job as a C, nice package, nice base, nice bonus, nice 401k. So I can imagine going, no, scrapping all that, starting my own thing. It's nice that she supported you because I bet that made a big, if you don't mind asking, how did that conversation go down? Now, yeah, that's a good point. So we want to emphasize, she didn't say, okay, you can quit your job tomorrow at Bank of America and start this company. Pretty much it was, I was already working remotely for Bank of America. So she was like, pretty much we can start building a company while I'm still working for Bank of America. And it was not until about seven or eight months later before I actually quit Bank of America and was able to do Spire Cyber full time. So that was the the caveat. <laughs> the conversation would have looked totally different. I would have said, all right. I know we have a mortgage due, we have kids and <laughs> I need health care, but I'm quitting Bank of America tomorrow. I'm, I'm hanging my shingle out and going to start Aspire Cyber. That would have been a much different conversation. But letting her know that I'm willing to build a business um, part time while I'm still working, that gave her more sense of security <laughs> to say, yeah, let's do it. Hmm. Yeah, cool. The first thing I'm thinking is you've got to find some clients and stuff like that. Is is that the type of thing that was going on in that transitional period? Were you looking for client relationships or can you tell us a bit more about how you planned out that, that period? Because that's probably quite an important time, isn't it? If you get that bit right in and, in and around work hours or before and after work, it gives you a really nice kind of smooth entrance into the corporate business world, doesn't it? Certainly. And one more thing I wanted to point out, which factored into my decision, like I mentioned, I was really thriving as a third party risk assessor for Bank of America. And but the biggest thing that I felt limited on as a risk assessor is I was not able to assist those small businesses, medium and large businesses who needed assistance with complying with Bank of America requirements. I was in the role as an assessor, so I was just objectively reviewing their evidence and let them know what the requirements are. 
and I realized that I would that I would enjoy more being able to be a consultant actually on the other side of the house and helping the business actually go through those risk assessments and other cybersecurity requirements. So that really was my focus with the starting the Spire Cyber, where, okay, now I can leverage this insider expertise that I have from serving as an assessor for a large enterprise. And now I can help those small businesses navigate the complexities of cybersecurity compliance and win for everyone. <laughs> so that, that was the, really the underlying inspiration where I can be a, a, a service to those small businesses. Now, to your question in regards of how I was identified to find clients and things like that, that certainly was the first big question you need to answer. Well, I would say it's the second big question. The first question is, okay, who are you serving? <laughs> who are you going to serve? What skills do you have? How are you differentiating your business? The second thing, okay, where do you find those clients? And for me, what helped is really having strategic direction. My wife has shared an article with me that she had came across. I can't think of the name right now, but I do remember the company. It's a company called Eaton Data. And the CEO had wrote a blog article saying like how he's making X number amount of dollars per month as a cybersecurity company. So I remember reading that blog article and he gave really good high level guidance on how he's actually finding clients. And one of those recommendations was he used Upwork, which is a freelance website where freelancers can go to and post their services they're offering. And it connects them with businesses. A lot of them are going to be small businesses that are looking for cybersecurity services. So that really is where we launched that. I created a profile and that just went from there and slowly started building up that profile, getting uh, clients, delivering for them, getting testimonials and yeah, that's, that really was the launching point for us. So I really can say I followed that model that the CEO of, of Eden Data laid out and it, it worked for me. I'd be happy to share that link with you. Yeah, I, I was, I was going to ask you for it. And yeah, we'll, we'll have a conversation afterwards and we'll, we'll put that kind of thing in the show notes. But there's loads of good stuff there. I'm just going to unpack what we've said so far. So been in the game 17 years so you didn't this isn't like a, a, a an overnight thing you very much gained your experience on someone else's watch if you like really refined and perfected your your craft you've got a nice support network with your with your wife around you you've also taken that transitional period so you've not just dived in risked the house risked the risk the, the the health care you've literally you've planned it strategically thought it through. You've read a blog from Eating Data, which gave a real high level overview uh, when it comes to, to, to client acquisition. And then you've really leveraged Upwork. We'll put a link in the show notes for Upwork. I'm very familiar with Upwork. I know exactly what you mean. So you've leveraged that as a bit of a platform to springboard your the, the, the client side of things. Correct. Absolutely. Mm. You nailed it. Cool. <laughs> cool. Just another question, Derek. So I think a lot of people have these thoughts that you're having. What, why, why do you think so many people don't take that leap? The biggest reason is going to be fear, just uncertainty. As you mentioned, I did have a plan and I had essentially a, a solid transition plan. And what afforded me that was working remotely, which a lot of people have that ability now since COVID, where they get to work remote. So I did have that transition plan. However, for those that are essentially going to make that big leap without having that transition plan. And it's a lot to be concerned about a lot, that, a lot of uncertainty, fear. I would say that's going to be the, the biggest reason. And then I would say the, the biggest reason of all is going to be that self-doubt, not giving themselves permission. As I mentioned, when I first started pondering this, I was giving myself permission to be a CISO, which I probably could have been prior to that point, but I had to give myself permission to say, okay, now I'm ready. I, uh, so once that happened, now I, I had to deal with myself permission to be an entrepreneur to say, okay, I'm ready to do this on my own. I think that's the biggest thing, the biggest hurdle that most people have to overcome is just that self-doubt, that imposter syndrome, and giving themselves permission to swing for the fences. <laughs> like, yeah. why not? What do you yeah. have to lose? Yeah, it's, it's so true. And I think so much in life is about mindset and, and, and confidence. And I, I can compare it to doing the podcast because when I first did the first one, you, you'll laugh there, it's right, because when I used to first do them, I couldn't do any work for two hours before because I was so nervous. Then like my after, when I was like, 
I'd do the podcast, you know, obviously about an hour. Then afterwards, I'd, I'd be just so decompressed. So long story short, I was writing off after, I was writing off like a whole afternoon. And then obviously over time, you get used to it. And then you quickly check your notes, maybe 15, 20 minutes before and you, and you just dive in and it becomes normal. And I think so much is about confidence and mindset. And you mentioned that transitional plan again. I think that transitional plan is absolutely massive because if I just really break this down for the listeners, if you do have a transitional period with a proper strategic plan with some money saved, look, if you're, you know what it's like, if, you, if you're good at what you do in security, if you've saved some money, the business goes wrong, you spend most of it preferably not all you spend most of it though when it goes wrong you can always just go back to to your original plan yeah. of, of being a CSO. yeah i think that transitional period's massive just another thing as well you clearly saw a gap in the market as well so you couldn't serve smaller clients what was happening there were, were people coming to you and, and asking for a for a certain type of service that you just weren't able to offer or right to, to that point i actually absolutely identified a gap in the market but the reason I wasn't able to serve them because with separations of duties, I was a assessor for Bank of America. So I couldn't tell Bank of America's vendors how to implement the security controls. We, were, we couldn't consult for them. We were there just to assess them. So that was the what how I was pretty much my hands behind my back. I couldn't do anything. But certainly those vendors, because I'm, I'm doing their assessment, they're asking me like, hey, how do I implement two-factor authentication or what policy, what should I have in my policy? I, I couldn't give them that level, level of violence. And that really was an aha moment for me where, and I know that they need this help. So that, that really gave me that insight. But I never would have got that if I wasn't working for Bank of America as an assessor. So it gave me that, that insight being customer facing like that to see firsthand what small businesses are struggling with. Cool. Very good, my friend. CMC. Big, big topic at the minute. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I know you're you're an assessor. I know we talked about the, the show I did with, with Jacob. For, for anyone interested in CMC uh, and, and the government space in general, please check the episode with Jacob out. And, and, and obviously, I'd like to hear what you've got to say now, Derek. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you feel it's affecting the, the security cleared space? And can you tell me and the listeners what you know about things and any advice that you've got for for perhaps people listening working in the security space or for people running businesses that are affected by cmmc certainly and i first start off by saying i definitely enjoyed the interview with you and jacob it gave a unique experience directly hearing from a defense contractor who has gone through the process of implementing 800-171 now the CMMC, Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification. I know that's a tongue twister. <laughs> I'm glad they do have the acronym for it. But essentially, it is a program, a Department of Defense program, to assess the existing contractual requirements that defense contractors have. So essentially, when the Department of Defense is sharing sensitive information, controlled unclassified information, or federal contract information with their supply chain, those contractors the requirements to protect the confidentiality of information, it follows the sensitive information. So once it leaves the Department of Defense systems and goes to that prime contractor or the subcontractor, the requirements don't go away. They're still there. And essentially with the contractual requirements that's been in place since 2017, the DFAR 7012, now the Department of Defense with CMMC 2.0, they're saying, okay, we can no longer... Um, just trust that your organization is doing the right thing, that you have these controls in place. We have to come and verify, have that independent verification with CMMC. So the big confusion that a lot of people have, a lot of defense contractors have, is they view CMMC as new requirements. In reality, it's not a new requirement. Those cybersecurity requirements that CMMC is going to assess have been contractually required since 2017, in de December 2017. But now the big difference is that big shift is now the DOD, through using their network of CMMC third-party assessment organizations, they're going to verify. So that independent assessment. So that's the big shift, which has the entire defense industry, the industrial base, in a big stir where they're like, wait a minute, hell, you're going to come check now? Oh, oh that, that's why well, it's a big stir about it. And 
as far as the CMMC ecosystem, we're anticipating that the rule is going to be released this sometime this month, published in the Federal Register, where we at least have visibility on, okay, what's the next steps? What's all going to be required? But we have a good understand, good idea of what the DLD released so far in draft form of pretty much what's going to be required. But we're going to know for sure by hopefully by the end of this month, because currently the rule is being reviewed by the White House Office of Management and Budget. And once they put their stamp on it, they'll uh, publish that rule in the Federal Register for everyone to see it and make comments on it. Cool. Thank you. Thanks for that. So, so I get it. So the rules have always been there. They should have always been adhered to. The reality is not mentioning any, any names, obviously, not pointing any fingers at any particular company. But the reality is ac- ac- across the, the board, there's probably many examples where uh, if verification was done, it would be a problem. If right. I'm listening, yeah. <laughs> if I'm listening now, and I'm the owner of a US government contractor, and I know that I would have, I, I know I'm going to have issues. What advice would you give me? Can you give us like maybe a like a little bit of a roadmap or like a high level kind of plan on how you would approach that that problem if you were if you're a business owner listening now in the government space? Absolutely. So as a defense contractor or subcontractor for the Department of Defense, first thing I would do is check my contract. So if I have a direct contract with the Department of Defense or if I have a team in agreement with a a prime contractor, I'm going to look and see what clauses are in that. I'm looking for those DFARS clauses in the contract. What have I agreed to that my company is going to comply with? And the first clause that you're likely going to see is that DFARS, this DFAR 7012 for short, but that is a clause that imposes the requirements to comply with NIST SP 800-171. Those are the 110 controls that a defense contractor that who is receiving, processing, storing, transmitting controlled and classified information, they have to protect that CUI by implementing those controls. And that's what CMMC is going to assess. So once I confirm that clause is in my contract, other ones could be in there. It could be the DFAR 7019, which requires you to submit your SPURS score, do a self-assessment annually, have a DFAR 7012, where the Department of Defense DIBCAC assessors can come and do an assessment on you. And then DFAR 7021 is going to be the actual CMMC clause, which that one's not in anyone's contract at this point. But at a minimum, you likely have that DFAR 7012 clause. So at that point, now I'm going to conf- now I need to see, OK, look, essentially like a data flow diagram. Where is that CUI coming into my organization or how are we creating that CUI in performance of our contract? So you need to look at all of the people, processes, systems that touches that CUI, that sensitive information, because that defines the scope of what's going to be assessed. Now, that is not an easy undertaking because as you're doing that activity, you're going to discover sensitive information is everywhere and you're going to have to really get a grasp of all of the systems it's on, who has access, why do they have access, do they need access. So that's all that is called the scoping phase, essentially. And that really is a starting point. And then from there, you can do a gap assessment to see, okay, where are we at? What's our current posture in relation to NIST SP 800-171 and those that special publication you can find on this website or you can go to CMMC, uh, no, you can go to DOD CMC website and they'll have all those assessment guides as well. But pretty much that's where you're going to start. You're going to do your look at your contract, then do scoping to see where that sensitive information is, then do a gap assessment to see, all right, what do I need to do to be in compliance Next, after that, you're going to document any deficiencies you have. Then the hard part, you need to remediate those deficiencies and then also document any policies, procedures that you need to have in place as well. So it's not something you can do overnight. It takes time. But my biggest advice to defense contractors is get started. Don't wait. Time's not on your side. This is not something that you can do overnight. And at some point, especially for CMMC level two, if you have to comply with all 110 practices for 800-171, you're likely going to need a consultant or someone with expertise to come in and help you guys navigate through the complexities and nuances of CMMC. Thank you, mate. Wicked, wicked, very good 
answer. I'm just going to just clarify a few things. So we're going to check the contracts with a fine tooth comb, go through absolutely everything in relation to what you've just said. Then we're going to do the scoping. Then we're going to do a gap assessment. Then we're going to remediate. I'll ask you anyway. I think I'm, I'm guessing from the way you were talking, the answer to this would, would, would be yes. But just to clarify for business owners listening, would you get some support in to, to go through that just from the off? Certainly. And so there are three levels for CMMC. Level one only has 17 controls or practices that you have to follow. And they're still taken from 800-171. And that means that your organization only has federal contract information. And there's a low bar for that, where essentially that information is just not public. Now, if that's all you have and you just need to do level one, and that is a self-assessment under CMMC, then I, I would say you don't necessarily need a consultant to help you that do that. You can follow all of It's a lot of free resources out there and self-assessment guides that you can follow. But once you graduate to CUI, that control and unclassified information, which has a higher level of sensitivity, and now you go from 17 controls to 110 controls, and that's the level two is what's going to require the independent assessment. I would say at that point, if you don't have that in-house expertise, then you absolutely want to use a consultant who knows what they're doing, who can help you navigate all of those nuances. Because if you try to do it alone, the DIY, you're likely going to spend a lot more money, time and resources and still get it wrong. Versus if you bring someone in who's certified, who knows what they're doing, they'll definitely pay for themselves in terms of the outcome of you getting that certification. And they'll make sure that you're not spending money where you don't need to. Yeah, cool. And definitely. And if you're listening and you've got your day-to-day business to run as well as everything you've just said, it can get pretty hectic. So Derek, is that something you can is that something you can support other businesses with, getting them up to standard? Absolutely. So I'm currently a certified CMMC assessor, which means that once CMMC becomes a final rule, I'll be able to serve on the assessment teams, performing the assessments, but also as a CMMC assessor, I've gone through all the extensive training, background checks, and so forth. I can also serve as a consultant, helping companies prepare for their CMMC assessment. But I can't do both. So I'll go back to my Bank of America days. Like I can, it, so for companies that I help prepare for their CMMC assessment, I can't serve on their assessment team or vice versa. So that's the key distinction. And then also Aspire Cyber, we're currently a C3PO candidate, which means we submit our application, paid our money. Now we're going through the background check process. And next, we'll have to go through a NIST SPA 100-171 assessment ourselves that will be conducted by the DIPCAC assessors to make sure that, hey, we're up to speed and we have implemented all the controls as well. Then at that point, once we become a certified C3PO, then Aspire Cyber will be able to actually perform the CMMC Level 2 assessments and issue certifications. So I, I eat, live, sleep, and breathe CMMC. Uh, mate by the way i can massively tell you you really you seem on it big time which is which is great and it's great for the people listening that that are in the space so thank you i know time's of the essence how long is this going to take if you've got a thousand headcount government consultancy it's probably going to take a little bit longer than if you've got 50 headcount or 10 headcount but can you give us some rough parameters in terms of timelines Yes. So the estimates I've seen and clients that we've helped, really looking at anywhere between, I've seen it, we've helped companies as short as six months, but those are smaller companies where they can move faster. And larger companies, like I said, it's going to take longer depending on how many resources they're dedicating. But on average, you're looking at anywhere between nine to 18 months to fully implement CMMC at level two. And that's slash 800-171. So the the most important part to understand with 800-171 and getting an independent assessment. So you have the 110 practices. So think of those are like the parent questions, the controls. But for each practice, you have corresponding assessment objectives. And that's what the assessors are going to be looking at to validate objectively that you have implemented the control fully. So a lot of times I see with our clients, they may, if they try to do it themselves, they're looking at just the the parent level question, that control, that practice. And they're subjectively saying, yes, we have implemented multi-factor authentication, for example. But that same parent question has maybe six assessment objectives 
where you need evidence. They're not just taking your word for it. <laughs> it's not a subjective exercise. The, the assessor is going to want to look at the policies, procedures. They're going to want to do a screen share and see you actually logging into a system that says multi-factor authentication is implemented on that system and see that it actually works as intended. So it's it, that's the biggest thing I notice where people that don't know what they're doing and they're trying to do it themselves, they're missing so much that is going to be covered on that independent assessment. And with our approach, how we help to accelerate it for our clients is we really break it down into pieces. And I talked about the phases earlier, like the scoping and the gap assessment. We, we break it down to make sure that we cover each phase fully before moving on to the next one, because it's so easy to get overwhelmed and just trying to eat that elephant all in one bite. <laughs> we, we break it down one bite at a time and we make sure that we provide you all of the resources and templates and guidance to fully flesh out each phase before you move to the next one. Because if you're trying to jump around and go from, if you try to start the gap assessment, haven't did your scoping yet, or you start documentation and haven't did your risk assessment, yet, it's just going to confuse you, overwhelm you, and you're just going to give up. <laughs> so we really are focused on helping our, our clients walk through each phase, supporting them each along the way and making it foolproof. Yeah. And, and, and Derek, by the way, and, and look, if, if people use, use you or they use someone else, I think the massive advantage with yourself is if you are experiencing getting companies ready and assessing, you're seeing both sides of the coin. So the question I wanted to ask you was, would you be advising people, whether it's yourself or, or someone else like you, w w would you be advising them to only get it done by someone that does see both sides? Yes. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> they've, they've tried to try to navigate through it. And the challenge is, when you think about government policies and publications, it's written in technical jargon and just so verbose. It's like trying to translate into a different language or going from all that technical jargon to plain English. That's challenging. <laughs> Overwhelmed. I, I Literally, it's funny you use that word because I just wrote down in my notes here to, to say, are a lot of people when they approach you overwhelmed? I, I wouldn't go that far, but to your point, that certainly is a significant advantage because to, they are seeing both sides. Now, if say if I'm just a consultant for helping companies prepare, I'm just on one side of that engagement. But if you're actually performing assessments as well, now you're seeing all of those intricate details that you know what to look for. And so I'll give you a good example. If I'm looking for a looking to hire a CPA or a lawyer, let's say I want to hire a CPA and that CPA has experience working for the IRS. That's a big advantage to me because now they can they're gonna let me know what to look out for. Same way if I'm looking for an attorney, God forbid I get into criminal trouble. An attorney that used to be a prosecutor, they have unique insight that someone that only been a defense attorney doesn't have. So that's why I see it's a huge competitive advantage or benefit to a client if they have someone that yeah does do both. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It makes logical sense. We've talked about CMMC even more than I thought we were going to, but I'm enjoying it. And I really do. I, I, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big topic and it's obviously extremely topical. And correct me if I'm wrong here, my friend, but I, I believe the deadline is November next year. If I remembered that right. We'll know once the rule is published, ideally, hopefully this month, we'll get an idea of more of what the deadlines and timelines are going to be. But the DOD has said once the rule actually becomes final, then they're, they're going to do a phase rollout. So they're not going to automatically put it all to all contracts. It's going to, they're going to do like pilot programs and just a phase rollout ultimately. I think they may start with some of the larger contracts first or the most sensitive contracts first and put it into those solicitations. And then, yeah, maybe over a period of time, they're going to eventually put it into all the contracts. But one key thing to point out is, once CMMC is a final rule, any solicitations that has that DFAR 7021 clause, the CMMC clause in it, as a defense contract, you have to already have your CMMC level two certification on file completed before you can bid on those solicitations that has that DFAR 7021 clause in it. So you can imagine it's going to be a competitive advantage for companies that has already gone through the process, have their certification, demonstrated their information security and compliance versus companies that are just getting started and they want, they see a, a great opportunity for them, but they can't even compete because they have to get their certification first. 
What do you think they mean by phased rollout? Exactly. What I'm thinking is if the contract's a long contract, if the contract's a five-year contract and none of it's in place yet, that, uh, that, that's going to be a big issue, isn't it? Because you, know, you can't offer a, a seamless service because anything could happen. So I think in summary, what we're saying is if you're listening, get it done. <laughs> get it done. It's such a big topic. I'll, I'll close out one more thing. A lot of companies are on the sidelines waiting to see, okay, one CMC is finalized and they actually have to do it. But what they're not really considering is with the primes, they're already pushing these requirements. The primes are not waiting because the primes know it's inevitable. It's going to happen. So they're not going to wait around for their subcontractors to delay and procrastinate. They're actually pushing the requirements now. We're currently up on the client for the same reason. One of their big primes are like, hey, where are you at with CMC? We need to see you demonstrate compliance with 800-171. So it's just don't have, they don't have that luxury of waiting around. Is there anything, so we've talked about the fact of, of drafting expertise in, we've talked about the advantages of someone knowing it from the assessor side and the getting ready side, for, for, for want of a better phrase there. But is there, if I'm listening now, is there anything I can be doing in-house? Is there anything I can be, I can be doing straight away to make life easier for when the assessor, sorry, for, for when, say, when you come to get a company ready, I'm imagining some companies are, are great, a bit like a, a pen test or something like that. Some people have got all their ducks in a row. It's great. It's nice and seamless. Other clients, same with the recruitment. Some clients are great, some aren't. It's, it's like any form of consulting. So is there anything that end clients can be doing to make things easier for companies like yours and ultimately easier for them? I think it starts with the culture, really trying to ingrain information security into the culture, helping their stakeholders, employees, other stakeholders understand the importance of information security. And if they do have any policies and procedures already in place, just making sure they're enforcing them, making sure that they're doing the security awareness training that employees are starting to get used to good cybersecurity practices. So I think that's where it really starts because I've certainly seen companies where they have, they may have documented policies and procedures, but no one reads them and they're not enforcing them. So they're useless, but you really have to have that governance. That is such a key part of a, a mature cybersecurity program. And that really is what CMMC is trying to validate that you're, program is mature and they're going to want to see that maturity over a period of time. It's not something that where you can put into place the day before the assessment and be good. It doesn't work that way. They're going to want to see over a period of time that you're demonstrating that maturity. Cool. Thanks, mate. And by the way, I, I don't apologize for staying on this topic for long, mate. I, th I think it's I, I think it's good and I think you're adding loads of value. Anything else that that you could tell the listeners now for people listening for, for again for either business owners or for for people working in this space any kind of few final tips before we we move on to uh, something else i think we're ready i think we covered it pretty <laughs> yeah obviously i could talk about the topic for days but yeah i think we're ready <laughs> and it is surprising how, how, how little some people know about it it's, it's amazing how long it took even people to realize it was in existence and it, it, it's scary really but uh, yeah no thanks again uh, also Doge, while we're on this if, if people want to reach out and ask you questions on linkedin about about this particular topic cmmc is that okay absolutely certainly invited i'm always happy to talk cmmc you can contact me on linkedin i'm also have a, a youtube channel aspire cyber where i put out content to help People automate, streamline the process as much as possible. Well, yeah, I'm available. <laughs> yeah, no, cool, cool. And for everyone listening, everything that Derek has just mentioned there, we'll put in the show notes. So it'll all be, you'll just be able to find it in the show notes for this show. Great. I'll move on to my, by the way, it's funny. We've not really stuck to the podcast plan, mate, have we? We've, we've gone off piece there, but I'm enjoying it. It's good. Yeah, no, definitely. It's not, it's natural and it's not, yeah, it's, 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 it's nice. And, um, Look, communication, mate, is something you clearly don't struggle with. You mentioned words like when you was at Bank of America, you mentioned being that consultant, and it's I see it with with, with what I do on a day to day basis. Like when you've when when you're if I'm talking say a smaller company, and I've built a company, I've dealt with a, another client who's gone on the exact same path. There's a certain level of additional value consulting service that, that that you can offer and that that kind of goes hand in hand with communication 
what tips have you got for people listening to enhance communication and those consultative skills that are so important across cybersecurity? Freestyling it. <laughs> Absolutely so important. And the number one tip I have is Toastmasters. And I'll give you the backstory with that. For up to, I would say, I joined Toastmasters when I was like 33. I'm 40 now. But prior to that, I feared public speaking. I was very uncomfortable speaking to audiences or just anyone that I didn't know. And I forgot, I believe it was my wife again who recommended Toastmasters. I had heard of Toastmasters before, but I didn't know much really about it. And I told her that, okay, I want to start moving into senior leadership roles. I know as a result, I'm going to need to improve my communication skills and presentation skills. And she had recommended I join Toastmasters. I went to the first meeting and it was really, I'd say, a safe learning environment where there are people of all different communication levels, from starters to foreigners who are trying to learn English to people who are really advanced. And it was just a safe learning environment, which I, I loved it. So I was active in Toastmasters for almost probably about four years. I did several speech contests and things like that. But just following their process helped me go from a fearful, incompetent public speaker to a pretty decent public speaker at this point. So in addition to having that resource, I would say it's all about getting your reps in as well. Just the more you do it, just like you mentioned with your podcast, the more you do it, you're going to get better at it. Everyone sucks in the beginning. That's there's, You can't avoid it. And that's we, everyone fears that sucking part, but there's the only way you're going to get better if get, is getting your reps in. But I certainly recommend organizations like Toastmasters. There's other organizations out there, but Toastmasters is probably the oldest, most well-known. They're everywhere. And it's such a safe learning environment to improve your communication skills. Yeah, cool. Thank you, mate. So Toastmasters, how do I get in? Toastmasters, you just go to their website. I believe it's toastmasters.org or .com. And you can put in your zip code wherever you live. They're an international organization. So wherever you are located, put in your zip code, you'll be able to find a Toastmasters club. And you just go to the Toastmasters club and you can go for free just to visit, see how it is, and just see what a Toastmaster meeting looks like and how people are improving their skills. And you'll quickly determine if that is the right environment for you. And even if you go to one club and don't like it, try several clubs because they're all going to have like different culture and vibe. They're all following the same model, but they have different culture in each club. But I recommend checking out several Toastmasters clubs. And then also a lot of large corporations have Toastmasters clubs within their organization. Like Bank of America had a Toastmasters club. Hewlett Packard Enterprise had a Toastmasters club. So also check and see if your organization has one. Thank you, mate. And I love what you say about get your reps in. That's such a good way to describe it because it is just so true. And I think it's so easy to, I, I, I did a post about it uh, earlier today about how we can define ourselves wrong. And it's so easy to go, oh, I'm, I'm terrible at, at, at public speaking. But it's, And I think if you say that out loud enough times, subconsciously it starts to go into the mind. And then before you know it, you never try it. And then maybe you do try it once and you mess it up. And then all of a sudden that's reinforced. And I, it, it goes back to, there's the old saying that I've used a lot, but I think for people listening, just get really comfortable, feeling uncomfortable to use your phrase. I think get your reps in. I, I just think these things are so important. And I think choose the way you talk about yourself carefully as well, because it's I, I really do think it, 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 it makes a difference. And another thing you said there is the first time you do something you're probably not going to be very good at it. There might be the odd person that is, but generally speaking, it does take a lot of reps to get anywhere near mastery it can take years sometimes yeah i think that's a, a really good point and i think by the way i think it's so applicable for anything i think that if you're if you're trying to get better on anything technical with insecurity leadership communication it, it applies across the board doesn't it certainly and it can give you a significant competitive advantage in any career field but especially in technology it because so many technologists I'm making a generalization, but a lot of technologists that I have encountered, they may be brilliant with the technology, but they have poor people skills and communication skills. So to be able to have both, or even if you just have good communication skills and are basic technology skills, that still can take you so far versus someone that only has technical skills and they can't interface with the customers and, and people. So as an employer, whenever I'm interviewing someone, that's one of the biggest things I look for. Do they have good communication skills? Because the rest can, it can be taught or outsourced, but the communication, that's a big component. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think as well, it's interesting what you say about because if, if someone's really, I've seen it before where people are really senior and on paper, they look fantastic. But then because they've been inside that comfort zone for so, so long, uh, I feel like you've got to get out of it as soon as you can and try new things. Because I think the longer you stay in it, the harder it is. to. I think the more you exercise that muscle, basically, the, the, the better is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, let's say especially at InfoSec, it just moves so fast. Certainly stepping outside that comfort zone, overcoming those insecurities and just that negative self-talk. You talked a lot about mindset. I'm big on having a positive mindset and stepping outside my comfort zone because that's where the that's where the real fun and opportunities lie. Once you just put yourself out there, you'll be surprised what happens. I tell you what, I'd like to ask you what what are the future plans for, for the business for Aspire? What's what's ahead? Have you got? Have you, have you, you seem like the sort of guy that's, that's going to have a good plan in place. So I'd I'd like to hear it if that's cool. Yes, we certainly have some big plans for 2024. This is our second year in business, and we experienced tremendous growth from year one to year two, and we plan on keeping that momentum going. Some of the biggest things that we're going to be doing in 2024, rolling out, we're coming out with a GRC application for CMMC. So it's the first time announcing that here on your podcast. <laughs> Exclusive. And then also, I mentioned us being a candidate to be a C3PO. That's going to be a, a big addition to the services that we offer. And then lastly, we have been focusing on building more of our network and position ourselves in the higher education space. We're looking to support higher education institutions for their CMMC compliance requirements and then also doing incident response plans for them and things like that. Yeah, a lot in the works. And last thing I didn't mention also, we also became... We plan to become a Department of Defense contractor as well. So we're going to be um, submitting some RFPs to become a, if not a DOD, but or a federal contractor. A lot going on. <laughs> cool. Very good. Exclusive. Yes, mate. You're not going to be bored, buddy, are you? You're not going to be bored. <laughs> uh, the GRC app then, is that, I'm just thinking out loud here, is that is that move cross sell across your existing client base because there's a need within your existing clients or is that kind of a new standalone thing that you're into how, how did that come about yes it, it is a need amongst our existing clients but we decided to start off with focusing specifically with cmmc first because it, it takes a while building out an application and eventually we're going to add additional model modules like iso 27001 and stock 2 but we're starting off first with cmmc and really it's going to focus on helping our clients navigate through the CMMC compliance, also track their evidence, and just be that single source of truth when they're going through that entire CMMC process. Yeah. And Aspire Cyber really focused on trying to provide that all-in-one solution for our clients and just have everything in-house. Although, so we definitely use partners, but our clients don't have to worry about that part. They can know, okay, we can come to Aspire Cyber, anything cybersecurity, privacy-related, let Aspire Cyber know what our needs are, and they'll find that connection. They'll handle all of the back-end work of making sure we get that that need fulfilled. Cool, yeah, no, good. I think it's a smart. I think it's a smart move cross-selling across the across the base. It's much easier to to do more with your with the people that you know and trust rather than go out and win. I think winning new businesses is important, but I think if you can do more with what you've got and help your customers more it's easier for them and easier for you because the relationships are already there it's half the battles won so yeah makes makes sense cool man i'm looking forward to asking you this next question because i feel like you, you're gonna have a few good answers and i've been yeah so it's, it's, it's the question i always ask about books and pods that you're listening to what i've started doing in the, when i get up i've just started putting on mindset stuff while i'm like literally while I'm brushing my teeth or if I'm going for a walk in the morning or on the way to the gym, whatever. And I think it, again, I think it's huge. There's an old saying that I've heard on some recruitment podcasts, which is with positive energy, you overachieve with negative energy, you underachieve. And I just think it's all so important, but yeah, really long winded way of asking it, buddy, but what books, what podcasts are you listening to now that is helping your career that could help the listeners careers? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm big on audiobooks. So I have an extensive library of audiobooks. So what I'm currently listening to, which what's great about like when you're watching podcasts and webinars and things like that, you have people recommend books. And so you always have a resource of going to new books. So I, 
was recently watching a part or watching it, yeah, a podcast, and someone told me or recommended the Jeff Bezos letters, or I think the name of the book is Bezos Letters. And he didn't write the book, but someone basically went through all of the stakeholder investor letters that he's put out since 2000, I forget what year, I think it's 13, and breaks down the core principles for business. And that book's been pretty good. Another one I like a lot is Atomic Habits. That's one of the books. I have books where I listen to at least once every year, if, if they're that good. And I listen, that's one of the books I listen to at least once every year, Atomic Habits, what are so many books, the Expert Secrets by Russell Brunson. That's a good one for entrepreneurs. Uh, I can go on and on, but a, a, one more that I would say will help uh, the listener's career is How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. I believe that's right. That's a classic. It's going to help you get a good foundation in terms of yeah, pretty much fulfilling your potential. By the way, that is a class. I've got a copy of that with so many lines highlighted, so I can basically just reread it in about twenty minutes. Like it's a yeah, it's a really good. And by the way, that Atomic Habits, I've heard that mentioned again and again. I yeah, I've heard very good things there. Cool. All right, my friend. I just want to ask you about mentors, mentors you've had, how you've acquired them, any tips for people when choosing or discovering or finding new mentors. Certainly. I mentioned earlier about putting yourself out there. So you can start off with first identifying people in your industry that you respect and you start consuming their content. If they've putting out YouTube videos, podcasts, books, consume their content first. Then it gives you something to really talk about on a deeper level when you reach out to them, whether you're going to contact them on LinkedIn or however you're going to contact them, let them know, hey, I've been checking out your content on Big Fan and just go below the surface level. Just hey, ask some questions, some specific about a book they wrote or a concept they talked about. That's a good way. And keep in mind with the technology, you can have mentors that you never meet. You can have these awesome mentors like Warren Buffett or whoever you really admire because they put out so much free content or paid content, whether it's books or whatever, where you can just soak up all that knowledge. So you don't have to have a direct relationship with them for them to mentor you. But yeah, that, reach out to them on LinkedIn directly, just ask questions, put yourself in positions where you're going to be around people that you can network with and they could potentially be your mentor. So for example, like college students or someone looking to break into an industry, let's say cybersecurity, I would recommend they go to some of the professional organizations, meet their monthly meetings like ISACA or ISC Squared. You're going to have so many potential mentors there. And as you keep showing up and delivering value, whether you volunteer or things like that, it's going to put you in the vicinity of people that can truly change your life. Listen, I couldn't agree more. And I think the point you've made about We've got mentors everywhere. Imagine 25 years ago saying to someone, you could just look at a screen and any mentor in any industry, like the best person in the world, you could just access pretty much all their thoughts via this thing called YouTube or something like that. But people would have thought we were crazy. And yeah, for people listening, if you maybe if someone's listening and they're working remotely a lot and maybe they haven't got access to mentors, but it's such a good point. They really have because there's so much, it's almost too much. It's almost too easy in a way that we perhaps take it for granted because let's say, I think at first it, it, it would have seemed crazy to, to get where we're at now. So yeah, I think it's a massive thing. And I think your point about putting yourself out there as well. I think it's such a, it's such a great way to, to meet new people. I think as well, what happens there is as well is like some people, not everyone likes everyone and, certain people connect better. And I, I find from putting myself out there that the people that want to work with you and partner with you, they just approach you and it, it ends up working out really nicely because you they click and they hear your stuff. So it's nice because it helps the community, but it's nice because you get to meet the, the, the kind of right types of people as well. But, but yeah, cool. Uh, Derish, I'm just going to ask you one more question about um, profiles you look for, hiring. So with growth plans, you're going to be you're going to be looking for people. What you've mentioned, communication's important to you. A anything else that the any particular profiles you look for, or anything else you look for that could help people listening to hear what a, a business owner's currently after. I'm a big so big fan of certifications. I have several certifications, and I would say that's one thing I look for. It's not a requirement. But it's more so a requirement for especially someone that's maybe changing career fields 
or they don't have a lot of experience hands on. I want to see at least they've demonstrated an aptitude for that topic and they can do that quickly by doing certification. Because at that point I can say, all right, you demonstrated the aptitude that you can pass the security plus or CC, which, whichever certification you want to name, but security plus is a good one for entry level. I would say now I can work with you from there versus if you're coming to me saying, Hey, I'm interested in cybersecurity. And usually someone who does, I get that all the time. I will refer them to, hey, do a certification or something like that. Then you're in a much better position. And I'll give you an example, a real life story where someone had contacted me through a, a net. I knew their grandmother and the grandmother introduced me to her grandson. He was previously he was managing a lens crafter. So he had no IT experience. He's had a passion for doing IT like on the side, but he went through a boot camp and for security and he did a security plus passes exam so we end up giving him opportunity to be a security analyst for us and he's been one of our top performing security analysts but if he hadn't had that security plus with zero experience we wouldn't have given him that opportunity because he hadn't even demonstrated any passion or interest or aptitude for security yet and that's just one example of how a, a certification can really give you a leg up and it just help get your foot in the door. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and by the way, for people listening, I, I think that's I think that's so true because if you're dealing with a recruiter as well, if they're good and they're specialised, they tend to be pretty busy. And if I if say if I think for myself, if I'm under time pressure from the client side, if I'm looking through the database, and if there's someone there with loads of certifications or someone there with not, you're naturally going to gravitate to the person that's got the certification. So every, I know certifications are always really divisive and this, that, and the other, and there's always someone that hasn't got any that's been wildly successful. <laughs> but I, I do agree with what you're saying. I think they're never going to do any harm, and I, I think they can really help when it comes to career progression and uh, switching roles and so on and so forth. But mate, I promised, I promised you an hour. I've kept you longer. I, I, I do, I do this most weeks. So thank you, mate. I, I know that you're busy with the new business and everything. So I really appreciate your time, mate. I really appreciate your, your knowledge and you sharing that knowledge with the listeners when it comes to CMMC as well, because I know it's a scary and big topic for, for a lot of people. But is there anything that I, that, I, that I haven't asked that I should have made or do you think we're about there? Oh, first, let me say that certainly thanks for inviting me on your podcast, interviews, introducing me to your community. I've had a lot of fun. Like you say, we just, just let the conversation lead us where it may. And that's those are the best conversations. So hopefully your audience got a lot of value from our conversation. You asked some really great questions. One thing I would want to touch on is for your audience where they are looking to break into information security, some things that they can do. A couple of years ago, I think back in 20, actually 2017 or 18, while I was working for Hewlett Packard Enterprise, I had wrote an article on LinkedIn called Roadmap to Cybersecurity Career. And I'll share that link with you as well. And I just gave some high level tips for breaking into cybersecurity career because I get that question so frequently. One thing I recommend it is, which I think is overlooked so much, is let's say you land a entry level help desk job or IT support at a medium size or large company. Now at that point, you're in a position where you can identify opportunities for cross training. So I would start networking with internally those in their information security department and get to know those people. And I then let them know, hey, I'm interested in getting into cybersecurity. You have any projects I can help you with or anything I can help work on? And that was a big concept that I took from when I was in the military. We always had to cross train to learn other people's role just in case hey, in battle, if, if someone is lost, you have to be able to take over for them. So cross training could be so big. And like I said, just getting your foot in the door, you may not be able to get land that security job with a large corporation initially. But at least get your foot in the door. Once you work there, now you're an insider. Now you can start networking with those experts within the company in that field you want to get in. And they can teach you so much. Then when you go to interview for that role, when one becomes open, now that team and you can say, hey, I've been you've demonstrated that that interest and just work ethic. So that's a big one. Another one where I talked about certifications. And then as far as just so much free training out there on YouTube, Professor Messer, he's one of my favorite for certification prep. And then the last one is just pretty much talk about volunteering. If you can volunteer at nonprofit organizations or 
any small organization to say, hey, I want to, how can I deliver value for you? How can I support you? What do you need help with? Because especially with small businesses, they need a lot of help. (laughs) So if you want to just try to get your foot in the door, try to demonstrate, get you some work performance under your belt, yeah, volunteer or work for a reduced rate or just something where you're going to focus on delivering value first. And now you're going to develop that performance, that history of actually delivering value. And when you go to interview for the role you really want, you have something to talk about versus just what you did in school. (laughs) No, I love that, mate. That's such an efficient way of working and thinking as well. So just to summarize, so a roadmap for to get into cybersecurity. We'll put that in the show notes as well. That's something you've done previously. Cross, I think this is massive. Cross training within an organisation. If we just could just talk about blue and red team. If you're on the if you're on the blue team, even if you don't want to be on the red team, you want to learn about that stuff anyway because it's going to make you a better blue teamer and and, and vice versa. So there's loads of opportunity there for really maximising your time. Like you said, networking would simultaneously happen whilst you're doing that as well. It's a free way to learn. And you mentioned another thing, Professor Messer, is that what you said? So this is for preparing for certifications. Yeah, he does. He has a whole full boot camp on YouTube free for CompTI. So A plus and then also Security plus. I think Networking plus as well. So it's just amazing. He's such a great instructor, the free content he has there. So just so much free resources available i'm I'm laughing because um internally we have someone that uh, prepares the uh the links and the show notes and i'm just laughing because we've got so many it's good but there's gonna be (laughs) someone's got a load of work to do but it's it's good so thank you my friend i think that's it we've covered a lot a lot of fun i I appreciate it certainly looking forward to seeing you thrive in your career and to help support you in any way i can no, thank you, mate. And and listen, look, I can see why you've done well already and I can see why you're going to continue to do well. You come across very well. Your communication's exceptional. And again, thanks for your time, my friend. And I'm sure we'll I'm sure we'll speak soon.